0: again recording a show it's been a while hasn't it this is uh this is a thing again apparently because I, I made it not a thing for a while but i'm back i'm doing this again uh welcome to the chronicles try it again welcome to the chronicles larnia uh episode i think it's episode nine uh lost count at some point but i am uh recording a new show on a wonderful night um nice chilly night outside in lovely washington dc And I am finding a way to do this again. I've been uh, absent, for lack of a way of saying it. Um, I've noticed that my habits of recording shows varies based on how stressed out I am in my personal life, and I've been kind of bogged down with work uh, lately. And generally, when that happens, I don't do hobbies, and I pull back from um, you know, kind of personal stuff because I'm just so focused mentally and exhausted at the end of the day from work that I just want to not do things for a while. And part of not doing things means I don't do stuff like record podcasts. And uh, that's a habit I need to break because I like doing this. It's fun. Apparently people like listening to it because I have not been recording for three months and people have still been listening to it, which is super cool. And with that being said, um, yeah, I need to do this more often. So anyway, that is, um, kind of what I've been up to lots of work, lots of, um, trying to recover from, uh, some, uh, like, uh, exercise induced injuries, if you will. And, uh, generally just kind of like surviving mentally, trying not to get too caught up in too many things and reset after work. And I think personally, this is a good habit for me to record because it helps me not think of the same stuff all the time. So that is going to be something that I am kind of saying out loud into the universe. Um, making it known that I should do this to myself. And hopefully people, when they tell me again, when they listen to this, Hey, LaVar, you said you were going to record more often. Why aren't you doing it? Um, I'm just inviting that to happen. I can't undo that now. So I know it's going to happen and I will <laughs> I'll thank you for doing it. But uh, otherwise, this is, um, this is another one of my uh, shows. Uh, this is a thing that I like to do with thoughts and such that I have throughout the week, if not months, that I am living life and I uh, like to get on here and hop on and talk about some stuff that I see either in the news or in my own personal life and kind of bring it out there and give people, um, give people my two cents on what I think about certain stuff. Um, as far as I can tell, everyone that listens to my show finds me entertaining and I talk to people and people listen to me. So I can only assume you like it. (laughs) And so I'm going to keep doing it. Um, but nonetheless, um, this is, yeah, this is me back here doing this thing again. So it's been what, three months that I have not been recording and quite a few things have transpired. Uh, I believe that the last show I recorded was around the time that the, um, people rushed the Capitol and, uh, that was like kind of the, the news of the day at the time. And I kind of went in depth on that on my last show. And since then there've been a few things that have happened. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, I'm going to start, uh, I guess what? what did I write down. I wrote notes down this time, uh, because things have happened. So the last time I thought I was going to record, there was, uh, some stuff in the news about a uh, certain stock, certain uh, stock that was in the news for a few uh, days there. And I was somehow able to follow it pretty closely when it was going down. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the whole GameStop stock uh, situation that happened back in, I think it was, what, February at this point. There was a lot of uh, news and headlines surrounding this one piece, being that it was something that w- was kind of unique to the nature of investing. And you saw people that were able to influence the market in a way that we've never quite seen it before. And part of that um, affected very large financial institutions negatively. And um, we've kind of been able to watch the backlash of, I guess you can say, the finance machine when it came down to regular investors being able to do things for themselves and buy um, whatever investment um, um, assets or, I guess, um, take whatever approaches they wanted with their investments. And you saw that when... A collective group of people decide to do one thing and target one specific, uh, uh, what would you call that? One specific, um, uh, subject matter, if you will, then it uh, causes a lot of uh, backlash. So, GME, that whole thing was quite fun to watch. Um, I was not one of those people that made a whole bunch of money off of it, I made a little bit and got out. Um, not to say I'm not going to say how much I made but like you know like was was fun to watch able to kind of see what was going on with it but was not like staking my future uh, financial sovereignty on whether or not I bought the right amount of stock of that or not so from that whole experience I was able to learn something about uh the way the financial markets work and generally um specifically what the investors were trying to cause in buying a bunch of gme stock and uh, sorry for the background noise. I'm like fidgeting. I just like ran. I'm like moving around, and like rubbing my, my pants and stuff. Um, but no, so the whole background of that was there were some people that were paying attention to the short position that a couple of big hedge funds had in GME. And they were able to share on the lovely <laughs> subreddit Wall Street Bets on Reddit. And uh, some people posted about it, talking about whether or not this could or couldn't happen. If you buy stock in this, it's going to require that these large hedge funds that have shorted this position to have to cover their shorts. Basically, what a short is, uh, to break it down, basically, in investment, you can either buy something or you can sell something. And generally, if you sell something, it's known as quote unquote shorting it, meaning you're requiring or you're more or less leaning on your financial institution to allow you to buy something at a certain price or loan you the money for a certain thing and then if someone decides that they want to actually have you fulfill the act of whatever it is that you said you were going to sell them as opposed to like you just actually giving them your so basically okay so if you were to buy stock in something you could own it you own the stock right but if you short it you're capable of giving more or less a contract or an agreement that you're selling someone something that you may not possess, but if you have enough money to cover whatever it is that you're selling, then you can go buy it and then give it to the person. So with GME, there was a bunch of, um, I, I forgot who it was, whatever, but it was a bunch of large hedge funds that were involved in this um, this uh, situation where they were shorting a bunch of GME stock, and it was like driving the price down pretty aggressively. I think at one point it was trading around 2 or $3 a share, and as a result of that whole thing, the... Um, the the short position that they were essentially having to cover if if this time came about that they had to fulfill their obligation was beyond a hundred percent of all the shares available so basically what they were doing is they were selling a bunch they were had a bunch of agreements saying that we are going to sell people this stock at a price and that price was low and through agreeing to saying that they're going to sell people that stock they were doing that in such large volume that it caused this kind of situation where if on the flip side, people actually outright bought the stock that it would cause the price to shoot up as the hedge funds would have to go in and buy the shares to give to the people that they said that they were going to give it to. Hopefully that wasn't too confusing. Basically it was a big dummy, dumb move by the big hedge funds and people on Reddit figured it out and shared it with each other. And what happened is the entirety of the internet more or less caught wind of it. And the price of GameStop shot through the roof over the course of like, I think it was like four or five days. And it was, it was, it wasn't even really a short squeeze that happened way back. I think it was, in, like I said, in February, it wasn't a short squeeze that caused the price to go up. It was literally the volume of people going into buying GameStop stock stock or GameStop stop stock that caused the price to shoot through the roof. And as a result of the volume of and when i say like people i mean literally regular people people that just have money and like a robin hood account and they would go online buy the stock and then just kind of like wait for the price to shoot up when whenever they had to cover because literally because of these hedge funds their position was beyond 100 percent of all the available shares they would have had to have bought shares back from these retail investors to cover their position so people realized that based on these wonderful redditors that put the post out there and everyone on the planet jumped in on it. And that one jump that I went from, like, it was like sitting around, like, uh, went from like $3 to like 10 to 20 bucks, then up to like 40. And then it got to like a hundred and then it jumped to like five, like four hundred, almost $500 a share. And then over the course of like four days, it came right back down to like $20 a share, like right after it. Oh, it was like over the course of literally five or six days, that whole thing happened. And, what we saw was this massive kind of a machine that defends and supports hedge funds step in and try to back them and support that what was happening was, one, bad, which, you know, that's subjective, and two, that it was something that needs to be regulated further or should be regulated so it doesn't happen again. The funny thing is, though, that the the ultimate mechanism that caused the price of GameStop to jump was just people buying shares. People weren't doing anything illegal. You know, if if the case can be made that because people put out information on the internet that suggested that they make some financial commitment or not, that that could be portrayed as, uh, or or, or, um, um, perceived as uh, insider trading, that's like a subjective way of looking at it because that assumes that any information on the internet is if that's any financial information on the internet is potentially uh insider information that may or may not be inside information it may be information that's gathered from doing research on publicly available information which is what it was you can find the short positions on any stop or any stop any game stop on any game on any stock geez you can find the short position on any stock that a company has on the internet without like having to go into like their private database like it's just on the internet you can just go find it so people are able to find publicly available information that they shared on the internet that everyone figured that everyone learned about and that's what caused this massive influx of people into the market to buy the stock so what's crazy about it is that as, as a result of that whole thing the financial institutions and like the news networks and everyone that kind of has a stake in the in the outcome and the positive the um, in in positive uh, trajectory and future of these hedge funds all stepped in to be like, Oh, this is something we can't have happen. This is bad. And like, there's this massive kind of pushback against what took place all across the news and all like the major news networks anyway. And uh, it more or less, and in, in, in from you know, where I sit anyway, it's like this huge contradiction of, or I shouldn't really say a contradiction. It really is like kind of an example of how uh, the wealth uh, structure in this com- in this country is like very rigid and like not meant to allow for regular people to make themselves independently wealthy. Like the moment that people start making money in the way that the traditional financial institutions do, that's like that's like not the way the game was ever meant to be played. It's like when people started making money off this crazy meme stock. The you know the powers that be freaked out because in, in their minds they can't control it unless like what they did what essentially what happened was they locked down people's ability to, to trade the stock and like like just shut them out. Now I've seen explanations that why they shut it down was because of certain like circuit breaker of um triggers that took place behind the scenes with the way that you know Robin Hood is able to actually acquire shares and cover their positions and etc. But uh. I think ultimately, you know, I, I read something. So there's this guy on YouTube, Louis Rossman, who does uh, the kind of like kind of his own way of talking to people about uh, his own personal perspectives on, on life and such. And he covered some parts of this way back when. But he read this story about it from this uh, Reddit post where the person was like kind of um, they were. Uh, They had years in the financial uh, world and they kind of knew roughly what goes on behind the scenes. And from that perspective, there is so much um, risk involved with how the financial system is kind of stabilized that the real concern was that there were too many people that would cause the financial, the entire financial um, structure to just crumble based on the volume of money that was needed to be covered for this particular situation and so like the way i see it is basically either thing could be true that it's like just the financial institutions pushing pu- pushing back against um uh, uh retail investors or it legitimately could be a thing where the financial system is so unstable and so capable of falling apart that if something like this does happen that they couldn't mitigate that literally Like our money could like hit either like what would it be like massive deflation or be inflation I don't know I don't know because I don't I can't think of the math but regardless like it could cause a a severe outcome of like making the value of your money be like in a direction that like essentially ruins our economy potentially whether or not I don't know the the math behind it or the science behind it I'd love to know it but essentially it's just something where I think um it's all fucked is what I'm getting to Uh, it's all bad and we. (laughs) We have, we, we need to, I think, um, I think we need to change some stuff. Uh, I'm going to segue out of this really quick. Um, so I've been watching this documentary slash like TV series that's on HBO. Um, it's really dark and really depressing, but it's really good. So I saw an ad on Instagram the other day for the show on HBO called exterminate all the brutes. And it's made by Raul Peck, who filmed I'm Not Your Negro. And he produced this documentary about the origins of Western expansion and contextualizes all Western societies and basically the entire freaking planet at this point in terms of what transpired from like during and before the slave trade and what outcome that that whole kind of institution had on the on the world basically and like i know that like some people are like oh my god slavery are you talking about slavery like well yeah, one, it's like it still has we, – we need to, like, be aware of it because although, like, modern American slavery isn't, like, just black folks and chains, like, like, working in the fields, getting whipped all day, there's still slavery in terms of the, like, disproportionate amount of power that the working class doesn't have in comparison to the owning class. And there literally is slavery happening on our country, on our soil, um, that's, like, all black market slavery and across the planet. So it's not like slavery is gone. It's an institution that – was popularized globally at that time but it's still a problem today and beyond just that like the documentary goes into talking about just the nature of like colonialism and like the nature of power the power dynamic of like white supremacy and the concept of it and how it has like influenced so many different things so that is to say the reason why i even say that is ultimately like when you look at the big picture, and you go like, well, the financial system's kind of fucked up. Well, like, yeah, it's never been designed to support people that are in the underclass. Like, the the, the economy in this country has always been designed to allow for a select few group of select group of people um, to receive the large benefit, large um sum of the wealth in the country through the working class on um, working on their behalf. And although like the power dynamics have shifted over time, we have more brown and black people that have gained wealth and gained power than even like back in the 1700s and 1800s and early 1900s. There were black people that were able to, like, maybe not the 1700s, more than the 1800s, but there were, there were black people that were able and brown people that were able to like gain wealth and gain a, a successful position in that world and in that context. Like, what like the point I'm making is that the power dynamic is always going to have an underclass, you know? And we kind of saw part of that take place with this whole GameStop thing of like, you know, truthfully, should people be able to buy whatever stock they want to buy in the free market? Yes. Should they be restricted to to not do so? No. But at the same time, like if the reason for that is because our financial system is so flimsy, then maybe we need to scale the fuck back. (laughs) Maybe we need to stop Maybe the 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 solution here is to like look back as opposed to looking forward because looking forward is like doing more of the same shit. If we look back and see the reasons why changing what we do should be considered, then I think that's the more mature approach here. But again, I'm just a guy podcasting. I ain't gonna change shit. I'm just hoping that it changes. Um, nonetheless, you should definitely watch this documentary on HBO. It's um, I'm like halfway through it. I'm on like the second episode. I'm gonna try to finish it soon, but it's good it's really good um it's really heavy and it will probably fuck your day up like it's not like violent um it's more like it's introspective like you kind of look at and you go like hmm you just start asking questions you're like why is this a thing like why do we just do this why do we see things this way and the more you kind of ask these questions you start to kind of put the big picture together you're like oh okay we're still like dealing with the out like the alcohol the outcoming of all of the um, kind of massive Western expansion that took place in history. Um, so nonetheless, like, take take a, take a gander at that documentary. It's, it's, it's very, very good. Um, it's very good. And I think it's, like, one of those things that, especially after the whole civil unrest thing that everyone was a part of last year, and everyone's, like, protesting, blah, 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 blah. Like, watch the fucking show, you know? Like, that's the least you can do is watch a show. You can watch a fucking Marvel movie, and you can, like, go off and like enjoy that you should be able to make time to watch something that might inform you about the world you live in that that's my take on it um anyway moving on the um yeah so anyway gamestop that's the thing so um yeah uh in other and other uh quite quite uh, interesting news mr uh uh dmx uh same mr dmx i actually have to look his name i don't know what his name is um it's like earl something um I was gonna say Earl Thomas, but that's not his name. Earl Simmons. Uh, <laughs> that's that's fucked up. So now Earl Simmons, Dmx, he passed away last week, and this is uh, this is quite the interesting story, right? Everyone that has been aware of Dmx's history and his life and his kind of listened to his music at all knows that he lived a pretty troubled life. He had a lot of things to overcome in his uh, journey on this on this earth. Um, and I grew up in an era where DMX was the biggest rapper was the, in my, in my, you know, hip hop world was the biggest artist of shit from when I was in like third, fourth grade, all through like high school, like maybe like toward the middle of high school. He was massive. Um, like even to this day, like he set records that I don't think anyone set or broken. Um, he, he was humongous. And for anyone that really doesn't listen to hip hop, like everyone knows a DMX song. Like you've heard a DMX song. If you, if you play a DMX song, you'll be like, oh yeah, that song. Like he was massive and he was big at a time where a lot of music culture was beginning to bring sounds out that were less corporate and less kind of cookie cutter and put them in the forefront and gave people an opportunity to like make their music. And DMX was one of those artists that literally was like a dude straight from the hood and rapped about it and all the crazy shit he got into. But he also like was capable of laying his like self bare out there in his music in a way that I don't think a lot of artists even today have been able to get to and do. He was a, he was an artist that in my mind <clears throat> represented what it meant to literally be a real artist and that his art reflected his life experiences. And he really believed in what he was saying when he was rapping and he also wasn't afraid or, uh, wasn't like ashamed to, to speak on his problems in life. And he had a lot to be fair. Like the dude had a lot, like there's a docu or, or document, an interview that between him and, uh, Talib Kweli and his, um, and his, uh, his, uh, guest is, um, one of his, uh, side hosts on the, uh, on the show. Um, I don't know the name of the show, but Talib Kweli has this, um, I think it's a podcast It's on YouTube. And in this show, Dmx talks about. They, I think they talk for like over an hour. It's like a long interview, but uh, and it's recent. I think it came out like like last year sometime. But uh, Dmx goes into some of his um, experiences growing up and some of the things he experienced and lived through. And uh, one of those stories was one of the most surreal things I've ever heard, which was him as a kid, as a teenager, like you know, coming from the hood um doing hood shit you know he was uh friends with this guy they you know like rob people do crazy shit and then on the side like he got him into music and so this is a guy that dmx looked up to quite a bit and i, I don't want to tell the whole story but basically uh this guy more or less tricked dmx into smoking crack without him knowing it at 14 years old and like when i say like i like, like like he 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 was like like smoking weed with him or he thought he was going to smoke weed. And DMX like wasn't doing drugs at the time. He was a kid. He was just like, whatever. He wasn't thinking about drugs. And he trusted this guy so much that he was just like, sure, I'll smoke weed with you. And come to find out in the weed, there was crack in the weed and like completely fucked his head up. And, you know, imagine being 13, 14 years old and developing a severe drug habit on crack that fast, like in a, in a moment. Right. And, you know, we're talking about a kid who doesn't really have access to healthcare. Who, de- who can't get, like, support from anyone to help him deal with a severe drug addiction. And with the prevalence of crack at that time, I imagine you really can't get away from it, especially if you're in Brooklyn or wherever, like, Dennis grew up, right, in the 80s. Like, you can't get away from it. So he, like, was exposed to probably the worst time or one of the darkest times in our country right at the, at the, at the heart of it and was kind of brought into this massive world of problems by someone that he trusted, Talk about one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever heard. Like, I, I don't know how to even make sense of that because that's like the the biggest betrayal. I mean, imagine like, I mean, you know, people in your life, you know, if you've ever been through conflict, like people you love and you trust, you've gone through tough stuff with, but at a young age like that, into the severity of something like that, I, I can't even make sense of it. Um, So imagine, you know, you really don't have to imagine that's literally what he lived through. Like he lived through that. That is who he was. That is what his life entailed. And from then on to go from that and then to learn about the music industry and then turn those experiences into something positive and to make something of yourself through your experiences and just to basically put yourself out in your music and not only do that, but then become one of the biggest, Artist in the history of music, in the process, is nothing sh- short of of, of amazing. Um, it's damn near a miracle, honestly, that um, a kid with that much going on was able to turn that into something positive. And you know, it's unfortunate that he wasn't able to turn around those problems uh, later on in life. I just think, like, between some of the life experiences he had, in conjunction with. The substance abuse uh, that he had, I don't think he was able to kind of get out of it. I think just, the, you know, and I'm sure anyone out there that knows like it, emotional uh, uh, kind of problems, like whether it be depression or anxiety or whatever, usually are good precursors to th- bad habits. And a lot of times those bad habits manifest themselves in things like substance abuse. So he was, you know, just like a lot of people where his depression, his anxiety, a lot of the things he was living through uh, contributed towards his behavior in a negative sense and i just think he you know then you have this like massive enablement through being a millionaire being super famous people always wanting you to do stuff on top of it like i I can't imagine how how hard it had to have been for him to manage some of those things um you know i'm just honestly i'm just grateful that i had the opportunity to appreciate his music at the time when he was big and popular and you know for what it's worth like i listened to some of his music a couple couple weeks ago i'd heard that he was like coming out with a new album And I knew that he was kind of tracking a bad direction. So I just kind of wanted to tap into his music and kind of listen back to some of his stuff again. And man, like he was not like an immensely, like he wasn't, his his ability to write a song was very straightforward, right? To say the least, right? He would write a song that was very specific to a point, but he was able to convey a very human perspective on those things, that you would like wouldn't really hear or wouldn't expect from an artist that sounded like him or was in the genre of music that he was in but if you sit down and listen to what he has to say you go like wow like, this guy really puts himself in his music and like it, it's just in my mind like he's kind of a testament to uh, like the human condition and the human spirit you know he's someone that can that was able to rise out of a really shitty situation and make something very positive out of it So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of upset that he passed just, you know, just on a, like on a human level, you know, like I never met the guy obviously, but, um, you know, he's one of those artists that I always remember from my youth and, you know, I, you know, I, I knew he was in a bad place, but it's just, it sucks. He's gone. And, uh, apparently he has an album coming out later on, he recorded and I can only hope that it's like, you know, treated well. And, um, his family is like treated with respect and now that he's passed on, so, this is uh, one to DMX. That's crazy, you know, crazy to think about. But uh, you know, life, life marches on, doesn't it? So I, I just hope that uh, his family's doing well and, and people don't take advantage of his situation now that he's not here. So other than that, there was another rapper that died recently. Uh, MF Doom, he passed away um, back, I um, think, a month ago too, or two months. I think it was like back in February. And um, uh, not to make light of it, but man, like frick, like frick, frack. Uh, <laughs> MF Doom was like one of my favorite artists, um, just in general. Uh, I really got into him around high school. I think that was about the time that he kind of blew up. And he was an artist that was very unique, to say the least. Most people don't know who MF Doom is. I don't blame you. It's fine. He's super underground, super niche. But he was a very, very special artist in that his persona was always – In cap, like he always kept his persona consistent around the character of MF doom you never saw him break character (laughs) i don't know how he did it you never like he used to be in this rap group k um kmd way back in the day and he was rapping with his brother and i think like one of his friends like three guys and when he was in that group they were like pretty popular They, they they were like touring and so like like were interacting with a lot of really big artists at the time. I think, like even Michael Jackson, like knew them or something. Like they were pretty like big in the music world, relatively, right? But then I think at some, but within the time they were like blowing up or getting like popularity, um, uh, what what's the most his name? Let me look this up. Um, let me see. Sorry, guys. Daniel Doomville. So, uh, his brother had passed away when he was kind of in that group and uh, apparently the story was that they were uh, trying to cross a highway and his brother, I guess, didn't make it and got hit by a car and passed away on the highway and like, geez, and, you know, you can kind of go through that and I think from there he had uh, gone through some experiences with like obviously depression or whatever, but <clears throat> he went away from music for a while and came back. And he can He like re- resurrected his like music career as MF Doom, and so this new character is was this guy that always wore a, a mask that was of Doctor Doom from the Marvel movie, like the Marvel comic books, and so he always wore this mask, and he would essentially rap about the craziest stuff. Like he had an album that was about food, and every album name is some food item, and every song has a has a food theme to it brilliant stuff just crazy weird underground like almost stoner hip-hop like a ama- but like fun to listen to fun like doom was cool and then like doom would, was so big in the underground like scene that he was picked up and collaborated with all these different artists and at some point like he was working with adult swim with music and he would have like different um like kind of uh appearances with them and he had a mixtape series that He a couple mixtape series with them that he did he had a i think the danger doom series that he did with danger mouse and danger mouse is the producer that worked with um um celo and Nor- norris barkley so norris barkley's celo and, and danger mouse and danger mouse collaborated with doom on the danger doom uh album series i think they put out like two albums something like that and so um or maybe it's just one i don't remember. But like Doom collaborated with him. He collaborated with Mad Lib and the Mad Villainy series, which is one of the best, coolest, like niche hip hop albums. If you wanted to start listening to Doom, start there. It'll give you a good idea as to what he's like. And uh, he also collaborated a bit with like Jay Dilla on the side. Um, and just like he put out these like weird, just idea based uh, records that you really never saw from anyone else. And he was one of those guys that I think of when I think of Lil Dicky that made music for fun wasn't always trying to make music to be popular wasn't trying to put forward some kind of like tough image he just rapped his own what he felt like rapping about and when you go back and listen to it like it's hard to compare him to anybody because he one was so influential on so many artists and he kind of gave credence to the idea that making your kind of music gives you some authenticity authenticity that Will develop a fan base that really respects you and like you, likes you for who you are and the music you put out, and he did that super well. So when he passed away, that one was heavy, man. I, I, I didn't expect it, and not, not to mention that apparently he passed away on Halloween, and like this whole persona like matches that idea, like just crazy stuff, man. But um, yeah, th- this is this is definitely uh, definitely a, that's a heavy one for me because I, I, I love Doom, man. Anytime he put something out. He, uh, he, it just was something that I had to listen to. Um, not to mention he like collaborated with Griselda on a couple side sidetracks and he was just everywhere. He was all over the place. So definitely, uh, going to miss, uh, listening to his music. Hopefully they come out with some posthumous records cause I would love to just tap into that a bit. Um, uh, but yeah, two, two major, uh, hip hop influences that I definitely can say on my, uh, my life that I, uh, can say that, you know, I'm going to definitely miss listening to. Um, but Yeah. Beyond that, uh, somber news, which I'm trying not to make it somber. I want to celebrate these guys for who they were and, you know, at least like accept the fact that they are worth listening to. They are worth listening to listen to like the content of their music and understand like who they are and what they were bringing to their music. Um, and, uh, yeah. And other than that, I think I just have a couple short ideas. I really don't have a lot to talk about. Um, despite the fact being gone for three months, I'm just glad to be doing this again. A lot of, uh a lot of work stress contributed towards me not recording on a regular basis. And I think that's a bad habit to keep up because it just, I can't be just a robot for work all the time. It's just, it's just not a good way to live your life. Uh, and um, generally I think developing habits that <clears throat> give some kind of uh, um, energy to other things I think is important. Unfortunately, I did start the podcast so I don't have to like, I have all the mechanisms there to put it out there again, which I'm, I'm pretty happy to have. But uh yeah, definitely want to maintain this thing because it helps me remember that there's more to life than my two work laptops. Anyway, so the um next ideas I have I thought of right before the show, but there are things that I kind of needed to get on paper because I, I really kind of feel them right now. They're like ideas that are at the, by the forefront of my brain right now. And um kind of tap into these real quick. The first quote I wrote down is these are all kind of goals, I think, uh, that this is not the quote, by the way. It's just me talking. Uh, there are the goals that people have, I think, for their lives and things that I think, at least that I can feel for myself that I want to achieve, but I think that they're also ideas that people could understand and um, agree on to some degree. And so, um, kind of based on my own experiences right now, I wrote these ideas down just to uh, talk about it on the show. One second. Okay. So... The first idea I've written down is an honest one that I think is necessary for most people, especially if you, um, are able to, um, if you like chase success or if you chase, uh, if you're like goal oriented, I think there's a level of, um, kind of self-reflection. I think that everyone, or at least myself that I know I need to have to make sure that I'm, I'm aware of myself and I'm doing good to kind of balance out, um, kind of my psyche if you will so the idea is that in life you need to be able to fulfill your vices while not being consumed by them with the idea there being that in life you're gonna have the want to not i guess live by structure and you're going to want to counterbalance at least i okay say you because i can't speak for everyone i'll speak for myself I know for myself that I want to be able to work hard and be goal oriented and achieve all the things I set out to achieve, right? And whether it be through struggling until I get it or whether it be something that I already kind of do well, I want to be able to succeed at something that I kind of set my mind to and put energy into. But I think as a consequence of that, I need to also be aware that your vices or my vices uh, the things that I do to like um, uh, instill some chaos or instill some level of um, of uh, uh, like, like something like put a, what's the word I'm thinking of? Something to stop the cycle, if you will, right? The cycle of doing everything on a routine. I think I like, I'm the kind of person that likes a little bit of chaos along with my order. And I think with that counterbalance, there's a need to make sure that whatever vices or whatever means. I go through to counteract the cycle of of kind of the 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 structure of my life that I I, I understand that I, I need to keep them in balance right. Work enables me to be able to not work, and not working gives me reason to work right. Like it has to be a counterbalance thing, and. I, I, I don't think I'm consumed by my vices right now. I think I'm doing a pretty good job of like maintaining some good structure and like just being focused on doing my job and doing a good job at it. But I know that, you know, there has to be a way to have some constructive time off from the routine. And basically, it's just my ideas. And I kind of am inspired. I kind of, this idea also came a bit from Crystalia's situation. Um, not defending what Crystalia did. I'm just kind of thinking about it because I saw I put out a show recently after being gone for a while and he like broke down kind of what his experience was and what he had to do to grow and essentially it was this idea that like through his success he was able to um, kind of make his way into having all of his vices fulfilled whenever he wanted to and a lot of successful people do that, right? If you are able to make a level of, of like success for yourself you become more like known by people more attractive and you can like get a lot of things that you want of your success and i think one thing that is challenging for some people that do find success is to be able to not be consumed by the enablement of the things that you've accomplished and i know for myself like even tonight like i thought about it i'm like you know what like my life is kind of the consequence of some of the things that i've been working towards and if i am able to keep some of that in check and be aware of that kind of that the fact that the hard work I put in pays out. If I am aware of the payout and kind of how it feeds back to itself, I can allow the things that I've built for myself to motivate me to be better uh, and not and like motivate myself to achieve my goals that I have for myself and not just like my career goals. This is kind of what I'm saying. Uh, and, These ideas kind of feed into each other, believe it or not. My next thought on here says to find purposeful work, but not to over-prioritize it over meaningful parts of life. So before I go too deep in saying that I need to find ways to achieve my goals, even before that point, what are my goals, right? Like what am I choosing to do with my time? And what kind of goals am I trying to build towards? And it's easy to, especially here in America, with the amount of demand that's kind of put on you and your time, it's easy to see that because so much of your time is given to work, that that's where most of your energy should be put by default. It's going to happen anyway unless you just like tap out of work and you stop caring about it. You're going to put energy into your work. And what's what the challenge I think is being able to see that, sure, you are benefiting from that work you're putting in because you make money to pay your bills, you have a career, you know, or if you just have a job that helps you sustain yourself, like you have things that you can build into your time at work that can enable you to do more things. But I think that having other parts of your life uh, in good standing is as important as just your work. Because when in my mind, right, unless you're a complete hermit and you don't interact with people, you're going to want to understand uh, the people around you and the impact you have on them. And you're going to want to make sure that whatever you're doing in your life isn't overly negatively impacting other people. You can't control everything that people do, obviously. You can't control everything in life. But if you have the want to do, I meet mean, a goal for yourself, whether it be with friends, family, like whatever it happens to be, if you're not building. And like working on that part of yourself to make those relationships better, or at least to know yourself well enough to know how to go about those relationships, then they kind of like suffer the consequences of not paying attention to them. And whether that be a relationship you have with yourself or with other people, like if you know for yourself, right, and this is one theme for me, like if you know for yourself that you're not working hard enough to like work out, which like I'm trying to dealing with an injury, but... Nonetheless, let me go back to the idea. If you are if if you're not if you know you're not doing enough for yourself, right, say you're like your diet's bad, or say you're not working out enough, or say you're not saving enough money, or say you're um say you need to break um like certain bad habits with people or just like things that you do in your personal life, if you aren't paying the attention to like yourself telling you that you need to do these things and you're not putting energy into them, then at some point you're gonna suffer the consequences of it because At the end of the day, when you do have to kind of live with yourself and treat yourself like you're like a friend or like another person that's a part of your life, as opposed to just like seeing yourself as just like dispensable or, you know, like it's easy with work. And what I mean is it's easy with work to see that you're just a part of a bigger system and that the work you put out is more valuable than anything else. And. And I say that because I do the same shit. Like I think that I prioritize getting things done at work beyond everything during the day. And I think that's just unhealthy because if I really did take inventory, I, I need more time off. I need to take time off to not work and to just do things for myself. And without doing that, I suffer the consequences for it. I have this like laundry list of shit that I have to do. And I have like all these other things that I'm like, oh, this is going on and that's going on. And I'm not putting enough time to like actually pay attention to that. So the point of what I'm saying is, even though you can achieve a lot of things, being aware of what you're achieving is as important as achieving said goal, right? Making sure that you're putting time into more than just, you know, how much money you make or whatever title you get or, you know, whatever you buy, like you have to think about things more like like outside of just those few things because there's a lot more to life there's a lot of unseen unmeasurable consequences for you doing certain stuff that if you just assume that just because you can measure something that that's the only thing that matters that you're missing kind of the point (laughs) like you're missing the point there's a lot more to the time you spend on this plan than just what you can measure and see on the page and so that's kind of what i'm getting at with that so you want to work hard be able to give yourself the ability to kind of cut loose and get away from work, but also be mindful of what the work is that you do so that you're not just working to an end goal that doesn't benefit you at the end of the day. Uh, And and like, you know, when I say, you know, that doesn't serve you well, I should say. And that is also feeding into my third point, which is that you need to value life, but not forget that others' lives also should find value at the same time. So the idea of being there that, You can, and I do this too, like, I get so focused on my experience with life that I have to remind myself, like, I have to, like, pull back and go, like, wait, 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 like, whatever's going on in my head just in my head, there's more going on outside of me, and no matter how many goals I have for myself, no matter what I want to do for myself, everyone that I interact with has their own shit that they try to do for themselves, and... Only trying to focus on your outcome and what you want is like I get that you have to be that way in certain like facets to be successful. Obviously, like you can't be completely selfless and like climb the corporate ladder. You can't be completely selfless and be successful in any competitive environment. Obviously, like you have to be um, individually focused on certain things. But I guess the the question kind of becomes then like who do you make concessions for then? Because you can't be so singularly focused on yourself. There's always a consequence for that, right? There are people in your life that may be helping you to do things differently, to see things differently, or generally just to um, kind of relieve you and, and save you from yourself. And if you're not aware of those people in your life that are doing that for you, then you're kind of, again, you're missing the point. And so sometimes you have to step away from yourself and realize is and ask yourself, is what you're doing so singularly singularly focused that it's not benefiting anyone else but you? And I mean, it happens all the time, people that work a lot, like, I I don't want to get to the point where, you know, when I start a family, I don't want to be the dad that's working all the time and doesn't get to actually live life with his kids. You know, that shit would drive me crazy. I don't want that. And with that being said, like I think part of that challenge and kind of balancing it out is understanding that like literally the the main reason why my job even matters is because it pays me, right Like it's ultimately like it's a means to an end to some degree, right? like it's because it's my job is enabling me to live a life. but what I do with that enablement is on me, right? Just because I have the job that's not the end that's not the finish line. Just because you make the money, that's not the finish line. It's the money and what you do with it that's most important, who you're making and even then the money is just like part of it who are you thinking to to kind of be there for? What are you doing for the people that are in your life? And how are you um how are you able to put people in a position where you can sustain them and like keep that relationship in a place where they need to be? And beyond just like the money stuff, like it's it's a lot of just interpersonal like understanding and listening to people and being aware of where they're coming from. And no matter how much, unless you're like a therapist and you just do it for your job every day. You, you know, you're gonna have to work at being able to pay attention to what people are saying and like see what's behind what they're saying and read them a bit, and be able to be a person that that's good for them. And that's a challenging thing to do, but it's it's something that everyone I think has to put energy into. And um, I think I'm like personally pretty good at doing it for myself. I try to be aware of my own habits, and I try not to um, lean too far into doing stupid shit, but I'm human, you know. I make mistakes, and I think at the end of the day if I can um at least be mindful of the taking care of my myself and being aware of myself, it can help me be better at being a better version of myself. Um and ultimately, my show is built around that idea. Originally the idea of my show was to be about personal growth and relationships, and I think living some life is like putting kind of that in context for myself even so it's i think it's good just to be able to talk about this stuff again and kind of put it in in the forefront of my thoughts um because i mean i i've been in a work vortex it's been a lot and uh everyone that i talk to is just like you need to relax you need need to chill out (laughs) like you need to stop worrying about work so much and i know i do but it's it's a challenge man it's hard it's hard you know when especially uh where you get to a certain point uh with any kind of like demanding kind of career where, where there's just a lot happening. You have a bunch of people needing your time all the time. And it's hard to prioritize all of it. You know, it's hard to put this here and put that there and just keep things in a place where they're manageable, but not consuming of you. And that, I mean, that's always the the, the, the tight walk, the tightrope walk that I, I'm always trying to find a balance on. It's not giving too much time into work to where it becomes detrimental to my mental health and my physical health even. And uh, trying to do my best at that. Part of the reason of even me starting this podcast was to give me an outlet from work and to give me something else to do. Literally, my first show talked about that. <laughs> Way back in October, that was my first show, talking about that, just needing to get away from it. Um, and I think I think I need to keep it up because it's uh, good for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to wrap up soon, but I think... Ah, uh, man. Life life is life is interesting. Life is interesting. At least uh, now, three months later after that last show I recorded, we have a couple of vaccines coming out and people are getting shots. Uh, literally, literally this morning, um, the uh, news broke that the one shot, I think the Johnson & Johnson shot, was recalled because people were getting blood clots and I swear I booked an appointment to get mine on Friday. <laughs> This week and this morning it broke and I'm like, well, gotta figure out what to do to not get blood clots, uh, and uh, <laughs> don't make that problem. But uh, yeah, I think generally just like life is life has been quite quite interesting recently. The coronavirus and being in in, in, pan, in, um, in quarantine has made life very like it's like we're in a pressure cooker. It's like everything's just more intense because there's no way to relieve the pressure, and uh, man, it's it's a challenge. It's a challenge. I hope that um, uh, I need to put a way to get feedback from people who listen to the show. Um, if anyone listens to this, and I, I hope you do, if you listen to the show, if you have any ideas on what I could do to get feedback from you guys, like let me know. I think like Twitter would work um, or even just like going live at some point on some like app to have people all log in and kind of talk to me and listen to me or whatever. That would be cool. I gotta think through that. But anyway, um, this show, I'm going to wrap it up here, and I'm going to make the commitment to record next week. Because I need to, and because I like doing it, believe it or not, it's fun. I like doing the shit. It's fun. I need to do it more often, and uh, hopefully I can get my one my buddies on again. I know that I got good feedback on when uh, Shalom was on, and I think we should uh, kind of get on here and broad some more. So <laughs> we got some stuff to talk about, got some things to talk about, and uh, yeah, I'm just gonna keep this thing going. It's good to be back. Uh, that's it for this week. Later, guys.